Let's go to the Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, that you are our Lord and our God and our Savior, our Healer, our Baptizer. For the privilege to know you as Lord and Savior, I am so humble, Lord, to think that I get to be one of your children. And I am more grateful for that than anything since, Lord, it looks like such a tiny percentage of us have that privilege. I feel most honored today, especially to be able to teach your word. The greatest job that any man could ever have is to stand and teach your word to people. And, Lord, especially to be able to stand and teach your word and see you show up with a demonstration of your spirit's power. This is the most humbling thing to think that you can use us as human beings to do your work on the earth. I am grateful. I ask you to bless us today and everyone as they hear your word. Bless them and bless your word as it goes forth today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Luke 640 in about three different translations to start off with. The reason I'm going to read this is because in John 14:12 the Lord makes a statement. Some of you know what that statement is, but in John 14:12 the king says to anyone that believes in me, not only shall you do what I had been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. You don't meet many people that walks in that. Uh, just they're just not out there, you know. So I don't understand or didn't understand why for a long time. But I'm slowly beginning to understand now why we don't walk there. And the reason is in the beginning of the reason is in Luke six forty, and Luke six forty in the King James. It says the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Well, most of us don't even think like that. I didn't for years. I didn't think it was possible for me to be perfect. And I I, I just couldn't go there. But the king said here in his word, A disciple is not above his master. In other words, we cannot be above Jesus because he was the example. But it says, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Does this mean that we can come to a level where we can stand and look eye to eye to the king? You know, is that a possibility? Well, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Well, in the New King James, it reads just a little bit different. But I want to read it to you in the New King James. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Perfectly trained. I think about... Back in the days when I was in the engineering world, 
I hired a lot of men to do a lot of jobs. And one of the most complex jobs I had was to hire refrigeration experts. And I learned right quick, if I didn't want to waste a whole lot of my time, when a man came in off the street to apply for a refrigeration job, the first question I give him was, do you understand superheat on a refrigeration system? And if he said yes, I'd say, set the superheat for me on a certain kind of refrigeration system and tell me exactly how you would do it right now. And if he could go through every one of those things and tell me all those numbers and everything, i got somebody I can work with now. I've got somebody that I don't have to start out with on the bottom and bring him up to my level. I've got a guy that's standing somewhere out here pretty close to me. And now I know I can take a guy that understands this depth of a refrigeration system and I can put him out there and he can do awesome things. But if he does not have a clue what superheat was, I know the guy's somewhere way down there on the bottom. And I know if I hire that guy, I've got a lot of hours of training to bring him up where I can send him out where he can do a job I want him to do and know he's going to be able to do it perfectly. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That's what we need to get. All of us start out down there on the bottom. None of us start out being perfectly trained. I think about the day, since Fred's here today, I think about the day that I met Fred in a store up in Louisville. He was talking with a lady. And I walked in on fire, bubbling over, you know, and began to say some things. And she said, and this is Fred Van Lu. I said, oh, how are you doing? Praise the Lord. I asked you, do you know the Lord? And all, yeah. Well, when's the last time you saw a miracle? Backed up. And he said, well, I said, you seen one lately? He said, no, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. I said, what a shame. I said, he said, you seen any miracles? I said, oh, yeah, every day. He turned to look at Peggy and says, is this guy real? She said, he's very real. He said, what are you doing next Saturday? I said, well, nothing. He said, would you be on my radio show? So I was on his radio show, and he didn't allow a single person to call in that day. He asked all the questions. <laughs> we were on a live show for an hour. And then he took me to lunch, and we went to lunch. We, the radio show was from 9 to 10 that morning. We got out of the studio at 10.30, and he said, you know, it's nearly lunch. Let's go up here and have lunch. We stopped there, and we finished eating at 4 that afternoon. We've done a lot of talking. But Fred had met a man that was unique. And because I'd spent time with God, he had not seen a miracle. And after listening to me and to believing what I was teaching, Fred stepped into a new walk with God. And now Fred sees miracles all the time. And healings every week. It's not uncommon at all. Every time I talk to him, he's got tremendous praise reports. So see, God's no respect your persons. When you begin to get perfectly trained, you begin to do things and become like your master. The secret is being perfectly trained. So it says, 
If we will be perfectly trained, we will be like our teacher. Now, who is your teacher? Now, let me tell you something I also learned. In the engineering world or any other world, the pilot world or any world that I lived in, I found that I could not raise a person above my level. If I was the instructor, I could not raise a man above my level. So for me to be better, I had to spend more hours studying. And the more I studied, the greater level I came to. I can remember one time when there was an old captain came through my class. He was about 50. <laughs> but when you're a captain and you're 50, you're old. Because they only get to fly to 60 and then you they are retired. It makes no difference how young you feel or how good you are. And you work for the airlines at 60, you're out. You can't fly past 60 commercially in an airliner. So every time you see a guy up there, you know he's under 60. But I had a guy in a class, and he thought he was an old captain. He was flying a Lockheed Electra, Forrington turboprop. I was a young guy. He came through my class. I taught him the negative torque system. I taught him all the systems on the Lockheed Electra. But that day I'm drawing pictures on the board and showing them how things work. Simple little things, because I know these guys are pilots. You know, they're not certified engineers and they're not mechanics. So I try to make it as simple as I can where they can understand the process of what's happening. And so when I got through that, I turned and asked a question. Does anybody have a question about this system? This guy held his hand up. I said, yes, sir. What's your question? He said, son, I've been through this class three times. And I have never understood how that system worked till today. But he said, you made it so simple, I now understand what happens within that prop system and that engine when I'm controlling them levers from the cockpit. He said, until today, I just knew it worked, but I didn't know how. But now see, he had not had a teacher that understood that in its depth, like I had studied it. So by studying it, I could be perfectly trained on that airplane, and I could bring those men that come through my class to my level, and they could be perfectly trained. Because I was perfectly trained, because I spent hundreds of hours studying that airplane. You know, I didn't just read a book one time, walk into that classroom, I'll tell you for sure. I studied and prepared. So, as children of God, we have to be perfectly trained by our trainer or our teacher. And that's supposed to be the Holy Spirit. So when you get in the Word of God and you start reading it and studying it in detail, when He convicts you of something and tells you this is the way it is, a thought comes to your mind, don't do like I used to do. Well, but the preacher said this is the way it works. The Lord is telling you, this is the way it works. Believe Him. Listen to Him. Because He's trying to perfectly train you. And when He's trying to perfectly train you to do these mighty things, if you get to where every time He says something, you say, no, that's not right. It's kind of like a man and a woman. 
Like the other day, I was taking a flight test. First time I've been in an airplane in years. Years. But I used to fly professionally. But it's been a long time ago. I get in an airplane with a lady. She's a certified instructor. She said, how long has it been since you've flown? I said, well, over 20 years. She said, wow, are you excited? I said, no. She said, are you, do you have any anxiety about this or anything? I said, no. She said, do you think you can do this okay? I said, no. I said, I know so. I said, the king is my captain. I'm his co-pilot. I said, I'm going to take this thing around the pattern. I said, just sit over there and be cool. We're fixing to take off. We're going to fly around the pattern, and I'm going to go around and land twice, and then we're going to do whatever you want me to do. But since I haven't flown in over 20 years, I said, I want to just get the feel of this beast back one more time. So we go ripping down the runway, and I take off and go around, and I come around, and, you know, and she's telling me a few things all the time, but, you know, I'm kind of like most men. I want to do it my way. And so I land and slick it on, and I go flying right down the center line, and I take off, and I come around. We get on downwind, and she said, had you rather I just not say anything? I said, yes, ma'am, that would be perfect. And so she didn't say another word. And I brought it around, and I landed it, and I said, okay. After I pushed the throttle up, and I went around, took off, and she said, you haven't flown in 20 years? I said, over 20. She said, I am impressed. I said, I'm not. You know, so, but I expected, because I was perfectly trained at one time by some very good instructors. You know, and I remember the guy that taught me to fly. If I didn't hit on the number perfect every time, he said, that's not good enough. Go around. And I said, but, and he said, you're off of the center line, 10 feet. Put the nose wheel on the center line. I said, why is it so important? He said, you learn from me to be a precision pilot. He said, you never know when you may need it. He said, if something happens one day and you see you're going to fly right into the side of a cliff and you know you can't be, go over it, he said, at least be in control when you hit it. <laughs> I remember that. The guy was good. So, I mean, from that perfectly training, you know, as this guy's bringing me around, and every, when I got to work, he hit right on them numbers, right on the nose, he said, you're getting pretty good now. And I didn't realize the importance of that until one day. I had a Mooney that the wingspan was 35 feet and 6 inches. And I was flying with my mother my wife and my nephew, and I was in South Texas in the hill country, and I had an engine failure on a single-engine airplane. I pulled over, and I knew exactly where I was, and about three miles to my left was a road. And I glided over there, and I just barely made it over a hill. And when I went over the hill and come over the top of that hill, 
there was a straight road in front of me and a car coming up a hill. And when he saw me come over and drop the gear, he pulled off into the bar ditch. <laughs> the markers on that, run, on that road were 36 feet apart. I didn't know how close they were, but I could see them coming at me. And I have a dead engine. And I'm going to put that nose wheel on that center line. And the very first marker, because of a little wind, about two inches in from the wingtip, I hit that steel marker and put a ding in the right wingtip. And then I put that nose wheel right on the center line. And I glided to a stop in the center line of that road with three inches of spare on each wingtip and never touched that airplane in another place. That's the day I realized that instructor that perfectly trained me knew that the event might happen in my life that I would need to be perfectly trained. And then I understood why he was so persistent. Landed on the center line. Put the nose wheel on the center. If the stripe set wide, put it in the middle. He said, not on the side. I thought, good grief, you're too precise. He said, you learned to fly from me. That's the way you're going to do it. He was very hard on me. But that's the way I learned to fly. He perfectly trained me. Now the Master says, if we will let Him train us, and we will be perfectly trained, we shall be like Him. What a goal to shoot for, huh, Ernest? Do you want to be like the King? Yes. Is it possible? Obviously it is. Because He said, if we're perfectly trained, and we will let Him train us, now, if somebody else comes along and says, oh, it's not important. You don't have to read the Bible every day. You don't have to pray every day. You know, you don't have to go to church every Sunday. You know, just go to the lake once in a while. You know, God understands. That's not the Holy Spirit talking. That's the world talking. Because it's like that trainer. I mean, he was not easy on me. If I landed... A foot off the center line. He said, that wasn't even close to good enough. Go around and do it again. And I thought then, I thought, this guy's too precise. But that day I had that engine failure. And I'm in the hill country of South Texas. And there ain't a smooth place down there. It's mountains. And if I hadn't have known where I was and knew where that highway was, and that day, and if I hadn't have been perfectly trained... There's no telling we might have all been killed that day. I felt so confident in myself after I got the airplane fixed. I got in it, and my nephew was foolish enough to get in it with me. <laughs> and I was foolish enough to let him, but I took that airplane off on that same highway and didn't hit a single thing. You've got to be perfectly trained. It didn't come easy. It came with a cost. But that's the way it is with us today if we want to be like the king. You know, it's a whole lot easier to be lazy and to be sloppy than it is to be perfectly trained. But the king says, if we be perfectly trained, we will be just like our master, our teacher. And then in the Living Bible, it says, 
how could a student know more than his teacher? But if he works hard, he may learn as much. If he works hard, he can learn as much. How long might it take us to become like our master? Five years? Ten years? A lifetime? And many of us will never make it for the simple reason we don't believe we can even stand a chance to come to the level of our teacher. But just like those men that used to work for me, I made it my goal to know everything about every piece of equipment that I was involved with. If it was a high lift truck, I helped design those trucks. I knew the wiring diagrams on those trucks. I have a, I just, I've just blown the mind of men from my studies whenever they would have a difficult problem with a truck. And they would call me, and just out of the top of my head, I could tell them wire numbers and, and circuits and, and everything. And I could go and sit down with them, explain to them, or they'd have a major problem with the hydraulic systems. And I'd say, well, this is your problem. And I'd explain it to them. And it, they, how do you know this stuff? I said, because I study. Study. And then I remember one day, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I just got home, and the general manager from Houston called me. He said, Thurman, I'm in big trouble. I said, what's wrong? He said, you know we only got one big FT dishwasher. I said, yeah, I know. He said, this morning it blew up. I literally blew up like a bomb. He said, I called Hobart. And they came out and they looked at it. And they said, well, there's no wiring diagram for it. We'll have to call Troy, Ohio, and get one shipped down here next day. And then it'll take a week to fix this machine. He said, I'm dead in the water. I can't stand to be down with thousands of dishes coming in every day. I've got to have this thing fixed. I said, no problem. I said, you got a mechanic down there. I said, keep him there. I'll get on an airplane. I'll be down there in two hours. At that time, Braniff had airplanes from Lafayette every hour. I run down to Love Field, run in there and say, I need a ticket. And I jump on the first Braniff, and I go down there, and less than two hours, I'm standing in his kitchen. The guy said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to fix it. He said, we'd have a wiring diagram. I said, son, I have a wiring diagram. It's only 36 feet long, you know. He said, where is the wiring diagram? I said, right here. Right here. He said, you mean you know every circuit on this machine in your head? I said, yes, son. I could sit down with a piece of paper and, and draw every circuit on this machine and show you how it works. He said, nobody can do that. I said, I'm going to show you. We pulled all the wires, all the contactors, all the controls, and we started at 7 o'clock that night, and we worked on that machine all night long, and the next morning at 9 o'clock, I had the last one done. I said, go over there. I had every motor hooked up and everything. I said, now go turn the main breaker on and let's phase the motors. And I had one motor that was phased wrong. And I changed two wires and the machine worked perfect. He said, how do you do that? I said, I am perfectly trained on a Hobart dishwasher. 
There wasn't nothing I couldn't do with a Hobart dish machine. I mean, they called me to go all over the world for the company. When nobody else could fix a Hobart dishwasher, I could fix them. They knew I could fix them. Why? Because I didn't go home at night and sit down and watch television and drink soda pop and eat popcorn. I went home with a book. And I studied it and I read it and I took the machines apart. When everybody else, after everybody else went home, I'm back down there working for four or five or six hours looking and checking it and taking wine diagrams and figuring how they work. When everybody else is at home. You know what kind of diligence it takes to work for somebody else and do that? Not many people are willing to pay that kind of price. It was a costly price. But it made me the best engineer anybody had. But just think, that counted for nothing. Nothing. Those people don't even remember me. All those hours I put in. But this God that I've spent those hours with and that I've trained you and that you have went out and done these things, He will never forget the hours I've spent with Him and the time I've spent being perfectly trained, which I'm not perfectly trained yet, but we're getting there. And I'm training some of you, and you're taking the Word, and you're going out doing the same thing. And do you know that every one of the prayers and things you answered that you learned from me, I get a part of your prayer answer? Ever? Don't, that the way it works? The king keeps records. If I trained you, you go out and do something, I get a dollar off of you. You might have got a hundred, but I get a dollar. You know, all of us are building our rewards in heaven by what we're doing for the king. So as I train you, and you get perfectly trained, and you train someone, and they're perfectly trained, look what we could do if we all would let the Holy Spirit train us, and look what we could do. We would all become just like our master. That is available. So stop thinking like a man or a woman and start thinking like God. If you could, some of you have worked for companies and done the same thing for your companies and areas you work that I have done. You have mastered the areas that you work in. You are diligent to study. And over years of study, you master things and get towards a piece of cake. You can handle this and that. You can do it. You can fix it. You can do whatever you do. You can handle I think the other day I was over here picking up boxes at this great big warehouse. I t- walked in and told the guy, I said, this is my order. This is what I need. He jumps on that great big old forklift. I thought, good grief, don't put me on that thing. I'd have run over everything in this warehouse. This guy didn't hit nothing. He was perfectly trained on that forklift. But he didn't get there overnight. But it doesn't mean what we do, we can be perfectly trained if we'll be diligent. And that's what the Lord says there. If we will be perfectly trained by the Holy Spirit, we will be just exactly like our teacher. I can't think of a greater goal than being just exactly like the Master. Can you? No. That should be our goal as sons and daughters of God. I mean, you know, we should be spending more time with Him than anything else we do. 
You know, whatever you do, if you're studying and learning, instead of spending so much time with it, at least give God equal time. You know, don't go home, don't study and work to learn to do a job or a trade or go to college or whatever and spend two or three hours studying and then go sit down in front of the television for two hours and watch soap operas or something. Turn that thing off and get in the Word of God or turn on some good Christian programming that will teach you something about God. <clears throat> then let's go to First Peter 2, 21 through 23. Here we see our example of what our master was like. And I had to read this and study this for years before I could even comprehend the fact that this was a possibility for me and you. But it's what it says. First Peter 2, 21. says, For even hereunto were you called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you, put your name there, should follow his steps. Everywhere the king walked, you and I are supposed to walk. That's what the word says. And then he gives us some examples of what he did. He says, who did no sin. So the goal for us as Christians should be taught from the pulpits of every churches in America from the day that a young man or woman walks in an aisle and accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior. The goal is not to go into the world. The goal is not to tell your son when he goes out with that girl, be careful now, don't get her pregnant. That's not the goal. If you go out, son, be careful down certain highway because there's always cops down there. So if you're going to run races somewhere, don't do them down on that highway. You might get caught. That's not the goal. The goal is to be perfect like Jesus. The goal is to obey all the laws of the land. The goal is to treat the lady you go with like a lady. That's the goal. Who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Now, there's a lot of people today in the church that are sick and afflicted because they talk evil about people all the time. Well, they might not talk evil about them to them, but they may come home and talk to their spouse about them. A lot of people will do that. You're afraid to talk to the boss, but you don't like what he says. But you go home to your spouse, wife, or husband, whichever way it is, and say, that jack down that work today, that's the lousiest, stupid guy I've ever seen. I want to punch him out three times today. Now, I know none of y'all ever been guilty of those kind of things. But see, when you were doing that, you were guilty before God. You might not have known what the Word says, but God knows what the Word says, and He holds you accountable and so that kind of nonsense will make you sick and afflict you. Well, nobody wants to be sick and afflicted. But we don't realize that what we do that's wrong has a consequence. And it brings forth devastating things into our life. Just like a man. A man won't love his wife. He won't do what God told him to do. He won't love her. 
He lives in the same house with her, but he don't love her. He don't tell her she's beautiful. Don't tell her when she does something nice. Doesn't ever tell her she looks nice. Doesn't love her at all. And then one day, she finds another guy somewhere, runs into some guy, and he walks up to her and says, Oh, man, are you a beautiful lady? She says, Oh, you think so? Yeah. And first thing you know, he's doing all kinds of nice things to this woman. And as he is, she is, doesn't recognize the fact, but she's slowly being drawn to a place where she's being made beautiful. Every woman lacks for her man to tell her that he loves her and that she's beautiful. But a woman likes to hear that from a man, period. Now then, if he, she's hearing that from her husband, then there's no danger when another man tells her she's beautiful. She just takes it as a compliment and goes on. But if she's not being glorified at home by her husband, then she'll be drawn to this other man. And inevitably, it always happens that whenever she's drawn there, first thing you know, the man is doing what he's doing to conquer. And first thing you know, that couple winds up in bed together. She thinks she had her needs met, and he thinks he had his met, but he doesn't realize that what he did was sin, and it's going to bring forth devastating things into their family. Whereas the man that loved his wife and told her that, it didn't make it her who told her she was beautiful. She already knows she's beautiful because the man of her life tells her she's beautiful. When he tells her regularly, wow, how beautiful you are. Holds her close. Like a while ago, way before you all come, we were here singing. I come up here and I help my bride right here close, my arms around her, singing with her cheek to cheek. There wasn't hardly nobody. They were practicing. But I was telling her how much I love her and how beautiful she is. And I think she loved it. I know I did. I loved it. I loved to hold her claws. So when you hold your woman like that, somebody else comes by and says, you know, you're a beautiful woman. She says, thank you. I know it. How do you know you're a beautiful woman? My husband tells me all the time. Like a guy saw Cheryl the other day in a place, he said, walked up to her and said, Ma'am, are you married? She said, Oh, yes, very much so. See? Women get hit on out there in the workplace. There's men out there hitting on women all the time. But the woman that's being loved at home has no problem falling in those areas because she's got a man that's a man that loves her at home and he tells her how beautiful she is. If you're not doing that to your mate, you need to do that. Then he says that when there's no guile was found in his mouth, that means there's got to be no guile found in mine in your mouth. Who, when he was reviled, mm, he reviled not again. You know how hard that is? But walking with the Lord is not going to be easy. I guarantee you it's not going to be easy. 
But can we do it? Sure we can. It'll take some work. It'll take some training. It'll take spending time with God. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can't go home from work in the afternoon and spend two to five hours watching secular television and meet this criteria. Here a while back, I just, it's been several months ago, I just kind of flipped the television on there one afternoon and thought, I just wonder what's on secular television. And I just flipped it on a channel and it was about a man and a wife. I don't know what it was. I have no idea. But this man and this woman didn't do anything according to the Word of God in the two minutes I watched them. She was constantly eating on him and he was running her down. Supposed to be a man and a wife. And I thought, that sounds just like the world. If you're watching that kind of junk on a regular basis, you can never be the man or the woman that God wants you to be. So when he says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Well, this guy's saying something to her. What's wrong with you, woman? What did you do today? I mean, I come home and the house is all dirty. Did you do nothing? Don't you know how it work? Well, she's reading him the riot act just like he's reading her the riot act. Is either one of them saying it? Absolutely. You know, they absolutely don't know that scripture, do they? Now, then what's sad about this, this, I'm sure those people were not Christians. If they were professing Christians and they're on television doing that, God's going to hold them accountable someday for what they've done before the world. And I wouldn't want to be one of them when I stood before him, I'll tell you for sure. He says when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And even when he suffered, that's what really gets down and separates the men from the boys or the women from the girls. When you have to suffer, I mean suffer, he said he threatened not. He just grinned and bore it. That's a pretty tough one to follow, isn't it? But he committed himself to him that judges righteously. You want to be perfectly trained? We've got our work cut out for us, Benjamin. We've got our work cut out for us. Do you want to walk in God's anointing? Ooh, I do. You know, yesterday we had a young man at the healing school that had cerebral palsy. He wanted to walk, and I wanted him to walk. And Ty wanted him to walk. And Orville Couch wanted him to walk. And everybody else that was still here wanted that little boy to walk. We did everything we knew to do. We tried. We lifted him up. He moved with those little legs. He did everything. But he went home sitting in the wheelchair. What's wrong? Hmm. We're not perfectly trained yet. But you know what would have happened if our master had been here standing in the flesh and he'd have spoke to that demon? He would have been gone. When his own disciples couldn't do it himself, and he'd come and he rebuked the devil, and the little boy was instantly healed. And they come to him and said, Master, why could we not do this? He said, because of your unbelief. Well, how do we get rid of that? He said, by prayer and fasting. You know how hard it is to pray and fast? 
Like a couple came by here the other day, said they'd been listening to my tapes on fasting, and they decided to start. So they just on their own one morning woke up and said, we're going to pray and fast. She said, by 3 o'clock that afternoon, my husband was doubled over screaming, I can't go any longer. I'm starving to death. <laughs> by 3 in the afternoon. She said, I had to feed him and I made it till nightfall. I said, you messed up. She said, how did we mess up? I said, did you ask the Lord to help you? No, we didn't. I said, well, that's the first place you messed up. I said, so you ask the Lord to help you. You want to do this fast for him and not for you. So I said, you ask the Father in the name of Jesus to take away your hunger pains. Or you can fast and pray and spend time with him. Tell him, Lord, this is going to be for you. And now we ask you to help us to do this. They came by a few weeks later and she said, Thurman, it worked. We decided we'd do a three-day fast, and we prayed and asked the Lord to help us, and said we made it three days with no problems. I said, what a difference when you ask God to help you. Now then, three days is great. That's a good place to start, you know. But then you need to do a seven, and then maybe a 14, and then maybe a 21. Now, I will have to say, when you start going beyond 21, you have to be careful about how much time you spend on your feet because don't drive past 21 days. We had a little lady here in this church that she was going to go on an extended fast and keep working every day. I told her, I said, ma'am, you can do that for a little while, but you can't do it. She said, I'm going to do a 40-day fast and work the whole time. I said, ma'am, I don't want to speak a curse on you, but I don't believe you can do that. I don't believe any human being can work a normal job and not eat a bite for 40 days. I don't think you can do that. Well, she didn't believe me. After about two weeks, she was still doing okay. She said, I'm still strong. I'm going. I'm saying the Lord is my strength. I said, okay, keep it up. But I said, I really think you begin to start backing off on your work. Well, at about 18 or 19 days, she passed out on a set of steps and fell down a set of stairs. Hurt her pretty severely. She called me and wanted me to pray for her. I said, first thing I want you to do is quit being stupid and get in bed and stay at home. If you're going to continue on this fast, past 21 days. I said, do you know that if you black out driving your car, you know you could kill yourself and somebody else? I said, so really past two weeks. If you go past two weeks, you need to start staying at home. In fact, what did he say do Pray and fast and work? Or did he say fast and pray? You're not going to do a whole lot of praying if you're out there on the job working 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day. You may do a little. But to really get God to do something great, you need to spend that time with him and in his word. And so, if you're going to fast and pray to get to these points, which is where you're going to have to go, it's impossible to get to these places we want to go without fasting and prayer. Just think, Jesus woke up early in the wee hours of the morning and went out and prayed. Or Jesus prayed all night long. Now, most of us never do that. You know, we can go out and party all night long, but we can't go out and pray all night long. 
I mean, it's real easy to go to a, a Christmas party or a, what, a church party, you know, where they got lots of good food. Walk around nibbling on all that good food and talking to all your friends. Three or four o'clock in the morning can come before you know it. But you get with God in a quiet place with the Word and just you and Him. And you'll be amazed the first time you do this. It will seem like, well, Lord, I'm going to pray for an hour. Let's see. Let me lay my watch down here. Okay, it's five minutes till nine. I'm going to pray for an hour. And you pray and you fast and you read and you study everything. You say, Lord, it must be 12 o'clock. And you look and it's 9 o'clock. You've been there five minutes. You know what I mean, right? But it will take some time to get to where you can do this. But if you want to be perfectly trained, and I do, and Cheryl and I talked about this last night again. After especially when we didn't see that little boy walk. She said, we've got to do this. I said, yes, we've got to do this. It's costly, but it's, I want to be perfectly trained. And I, I, my appetite has been wet. I've seen God's glory, just a little earnest. You know what I mean, right? When you pray for somebody and you see... Whatever their problem is, you see cancer, lung cancer, you see breast cancer, you see lumps on people, uh, you see migraine headaches. I don't care what it is, from the least to the most awesome. When you pray over someone and you see God instantly move and do a mighty miracle of healing, wow, that what's your appetite. Lord, let me see a bigger one. He said, okay, spend a little more time with me. You know, I look at my lovely wife and said, wow, you're awesome. She said, yeah, marry me and you'll see how awesome I am. (laughs) You know where I'm coming from, right? If you think I look good here, you ought to see me after you marry me. I'm a different woman. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. That's the way God is. He says, if you think I'm something now, you really marry me. You step in and make me one with you. And I will show you things beyond your wildest dreams. I love to see God answer prayer. Don't you, Deborah? The more time you spend with him, the greater become the answer to your prayers. Too, right, girl? Yes. But it's costly, but it's worth the price we have to pay. Proverbs 23.7 King James For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You know, I ask people all the time, are you a Christian? Yeah, I hope so. They really don't know. When you run into somebody that's really been taught in a good church, you don't have to ask them if they're a Christian. If you've been with them more than five minutes, they want to know, are you a Christian? Where do you go to church? 
But if you walk up to somebody and say, you're a Christian, well, I don't talk about religion. Well, let me tell you, they ain't much of a Christian, are they? No. If you're not putting Jesus first, you're not much of a Christian. After all, he's our master. And he is God, and he tells us what we're supposed to do. But if we think that we can't do anything, or it's impossible for us to become like the master, if you think in your heart, I cannot go through this day without sinning, what are you going to do? You're going to sin. Sure. As you think in your heart, do you think that you can run an office? Somebody says, well, I don't know. That'd be an awful big job. I, I really don't think I could. Oh, you know what? When a young man comes to me and asks me, sir, I need a job. I said, you ever worked anywhere before? No, sir. I'm just out of high school. This is my first application for a job. Do you think that you can be an asset to our company and what we do here, son? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know what I can do, but, you know, I don't know. But the next young man, I said, what can you do? He said, sir, anything you want to train me to do, I'll be the best employee you ever had. I'll work harder than anybody you ever had working for you. I said, you mean if I give you a dirty job, you'll go do it? He said, sir, if I'm working you, I'll do anything. I said, you work hard? He said, I'll work harder than anybody you ever had. I don't know nothing yet, but I'll learn everything you've got to teach me. I said, son, you hired. That's all we need to learn right there. You hired. Because if that young man thinks in his heart, what can you do with a young man who has that kind of an attitude? Anything. You can take that boy over there and say, let me show you how to do this. He said, man, I know I can do that. Well, you've never done this before? No, I ain't never seen a machine like that. But I know if you show me, I know I can do it. Man. See, as he thought in his heart, he'll master that thing. Well, I don't know if I can do that or not. I mean, you know, two or three of those, I don't know if I can do that or not. I said, okay, son, we'll call you if we need you. Hey, as Christians, we got to realize the king says, as Christians, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So what's impossible with you? Nothing. Nothing. If you have that mentality, if you have the mind of Christ and you think like that, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, then you and me as sons and daughters of God can go into the world knowing that our King is behind us and there's nothing impossible with us. That's the attitude you have to go at life. Right, brother? You have to go at life like that. I'm a son of God. Amen. What, do you, how, what, what makes you think that you can go somewhere? I remember one time Bill Martin... He was the executive vice president of engineering. He called me and said, Thurman, I need you to go to Cairo, Egypt with me for a while. I said, what's going on over there? He said, we've got a building over there that's under construction and we can't get it finished. He said, the last engineer I sent over there quit. He said, I know you can put that building up. He said, will you meet me in Washington in the morning? I said, okay. And I did, and we got on an airplane, and we flew to Cairo, Egypt. For three days, I walked around in this plant. It had its own electrical plant, its own dry ice plant. It had its own bakery, or the beginnings of all of this. 
quarter million square foot, had 35 rooms for walk-in coolers and freezers with a, supposedly a big blast freezer, and nothing was assembled. And I walked around and looked at this thing. At the end of three days, this lady that was in charge of it, I didn't say a word. I just walked and looked. At the end of three days, Bill Martin said, well, Thurman, I'm going back to Washington. He said, uh, do the best you can. The lady got Bill off to the side and she says, this is not the man for the job. He hasn't said a word. Bill Martin said, this man will get this building built for you. You just do what he says and I guarantee you this building will come up. So he left. She came to me and said, what do I need? And I told her. And she got the stuff together. She got the engineers that I needed, everything, and they got all the people. And a couple of days later, we started on this project. I started through these rooms, and I started, and I showed these men how to wire up these refrigeration compressors. I showed men how to put everything together. I went to the dryest plant. I showed them how to wire up pumps, compressors, everything, and get that dry ice plant working. I showed them how to build and design the bakery. And three months later, I opened that building with every piece of equipment in it working. That lady was so impressed. So impressed. She said, from day one, after about a week, she said, where did you learn all this stuff? I said, oh, ma'am. I said, it's real simple. I'm a Christian. Now, in Cairo, Egypt, that's a minority. I looked all over Cairo and didn't find one single church while I was there. I was a loner. But I said, I'm a Christian, and the king of the universe is in me. And all the secrets and the wisdom of the universe is in me, and all i got to do is ask him, and he shows me. And so I can build and design this plant for you because he knows everything about everything, and he will tell me, and I'm going to guarantee you that in the name of Jesus, I'm going to put this plant together for you, and it's going to be working perfect because I have a perfect trainer, and he lives in me. And in three months, I put that building together, and whenever I left there, she came out on that TWA airplane and begged me. She said, Thurman, if, remember, this was in 1979, I guess. 1979. She said, I will give you $50,000 a year tax-free to stay here and run this plant for me. That wasn't bad money in 1979. I told her, I'm sorry. I can't stay. I come to do a job, and I did it. And I opened your building, and all sections of it are running in operation. Now I'm going back to the States. Now then, if we would only be trained by our master... And believe, you have no idea how many times I walked into certain sections of that massive complexity of that plant. And I said, Lord, i got to have some help today. I need you to reveal to me how to do this. And I need you to reveal to me how to do this. In fact, when I walked into the bakery, she had ordered, we got all the stuff going, running in the bakery. It was the first section of the plant we got going. When we got that going, 
and it was running, she realized that she needed to make a whole lot more rolls than she had equipment to make. The proving ovens and everything, she didn't have near enough stuff. She didn't know how to figure nothing. This woman wasn't an engineer. So she didn't know how to figure these kind of things. So when we got through, I said, you need this much more space. She said, you realize how long it took me to get those proving ovens from Sweden? I said, no, I don't know how long it took. She said, it took months. She said, I need this stuff like next week or next month. I thought, it's no problem. I can build you a big proving oven. She said, a proving room. She said, what? I said, yeah, you got a great big walk-in freezer right there that you're not going to use. You don't need it. You built it. You don't need it. And here you got plenty of others. So I said, I will convert that 10 by 12 walk-in freezer to a proving room. You know, with humidistats and thermostats and evaporators and everything so that it will be a perfect proving room. I'll set the humidity at 100% and the temperature exactly where it needs to be. And I said, it'll be a perfect proving room. And I said, you won't even have to change. You just roll the rolls of big racks in there and let them in so they rise. And you can take them out put them right in the ovens and it'll be a piece of cake. She says, you can do that? I said, sure. How can you know how to do that? I said, because the king of the universe lives in me. And so I built that thing and got it going and it worked perfect. And she said, I've never seen a human being that knows as much about as many things as you do. I said, ma'am, it's not really me. So don't, you know, try, start trying to say it's me. I said, but I serve the king of the universe and he made all this stuff. And he told me to just to pray and ask him for anything and he'll show me how to do it. So I was a one tremendous example. One man came and done an impossible chore for the Egyptian government in 1979. And I did it all in the name of Jesus. And I didn't hesitate to tell them how I'd done it. It was all by the name of Jesus. I mean, you know. But after all, who are we serving? The king. Is he in us? Did he so ask me anything and I'll do it? Well, what is it we don't understand about the Word? So see, when we get in here and we ask, you know, all the engineers that have been before me, they either were mediocre Christians or they didn't know the King very well or they didn't know Him at all. So when they walked into this massive project with a bunch of people, there's not nothing like the people in America. The drawings, the fact the drawings were not even anywhere close to complete. In fact, one of the first little mistakes I found when I walked in, walking through this quarter million square foot facility, I walked up into these big upper rooms and I, here's the platforms, but where's the air handlers that's supposed to mount on these platforms? Well, they're over in another hangar. I said, and they fit these, right? Yeah, and I look and there's one little three by seven door over there. I said, I think y'all messed up. So I said, we're going to have to take out about a 10 by 10 section of wall. They don't have any jackhammers over there. You know how they broke that wall out? With pieces of sharpened rebar and sledgehammers. What a, what a chore. And then we put the beams up there and we hoisted those big air handlers up those beams by hand and rope. I had a lot of fun on that project. <laughs> but I'm sure glad I knew Jesus. Amen. And I'm glad that on that walk of my life, I was perfectly trained. 
That's the only way I could have accomplished such a tremendous task. I mean, you talk about a man that got letters from his VPs and CEOs and everything. When I came back from there, they were so happy with the Marriott Corporation, whom I worked for, they didn't think anybody at Marriott could do anything wrong, all because I had done an impossible chore for them over there. But I did it all in the name of Jesus. I got letters from CEOs thanking me for what I'd done and all those kind of things. But when I, they even invited me to a big corporate meeting up in Washington and give me a banquet dinner, you know, for all I did. I just told them, told them, hey guys, it was all Jesus. Amen. You know, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's how I do what I do. So don't give me no glory. It's my King that I serve. He's the one that built that building for me, not me. Why do you think the king give me all that knowledge and wisdom to do all those things over all those years? Because I never took the glory myself. I give it to him. He is the king. Just like Cheryl and I was talking this morning. She's talking about these wonderful prayer requests that we have come in and the wonderful answers to prayer. She said, isn't it awesome that even... Wendy, or me, or Sharon, or anybody that prays out here gets wonderful answers to prayer. I said, of course, honey, it's not us. This ministry is not us. This ministry is not me. This ministry is the king. We work for the king. And so he's the healer. He's the deliverer. Makes no matter which one of us pray, the king honors this little ministry that he's put together. And if it was, just like Peter said, if it was up to my righteousness and my holiness as to what happened at the Living Savior ministry, we'd be in bad shape. But it's not up to my righteousness and my holiness, but it's by faith in our king. And he was perfect, wasn't he, Fred? But he's training us to be as close to perfect as possible. And the closer we get to perfection, the greater becomes the answers to prayer. Now, that if you don't go into that and strive for that perfection, then I hate to say this, but you're sinning. You're sinning. He tells you to study His Word, to show yourself approved unto Him. So if you're just a normal person, and you're not studying the Word, you're not doing what He says, you're not reading it, then you're sinning, and you will not enjoy the consequences of what happens to you in your life. But guess what? The person that's not studying, that doesn't get in God's Word, they'll have no idea of why all these things are happening to them in life. They'll not know. They'll think it's just a coincidence that this happened or that happened or whatever. But if you are being perfectly trained and you're seeking the King... I'm going to guarantee you there's not anything can take you out until God is through with you on this earth. There will be things that will come into your life, but you'll be able to overcome every trial and test in your life. Now, He'll put those trials and tests in your way to put you to the test to bring you to a new level of faith. And as He does, He says, what are we supposed to do with all these trials and tests? Grumble about them? What did he say do to them, Donna? Consider them pure? Oh, we don't do that very well, do we? So all this mighty trials and tests come up this morning. Everything's going wrong. Who knows what you might have done, been a fender on the way to work or to church or whatever. I mean, even like we were over there in Switzerland 
the other day, whenever we went down that mountain on that snow, skidding in a cart, and turned sideways and run into a big mound of snow to stop. And then, lo and behold, we get out, and guess what happens? Cheryl falls and busts her backside. You know, we have to pray over her. I mean, did we grumble and complain? Nope. But is it time to pray? Yes, it's time to pray. Get her inside. All these trials and tests, she's hurting tremendously. We get her inside and pray over her, and the Lord instantly takes away her pain. And it's about time we get through praying. We turn and look, and here comes another car down the hill. He can't stop. He runs right broadside into the car we just got out of. So that's what we do. We jump up down and say, well, if this is what it is to serve Jesus, we don't want no more of it. No, that's not what we did at all. The man that owned the car said, praise God, I'm not going to get angry. I don't care what happens out there. He said, I know God's in control. He said, thank you, Jesus. I consider it pure joy. My car got hit in the side. <laughs> it's hard to do that, isn't it? But he praised God through it all. He said, I ain't going to let this get me off on a tangent. He said, I'm going to praise the Lord. But how difficult is it to praise Him through all them trials and tests? The closer you're perfectly trained, the easier it is. Well, that's what we've got to get. We've got to be, get there. Then one little set of verses here in Mark 7, and we're going to quit. Time goes by so quick when you're studying the Word. Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Mark seven twenty. This is a King James. And he said, That which comes out of the man, that's what defiles you. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. What's your adulteries? He named them for you. Fornication, murders, these are evil thoughts. These are things that defile you. Then he goes on. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness. That is every kind of wicked sin in sex that you can imagine. That's what that's talking about. Lasciviousness. An evil eye. How many of you women... I've seen men that you knew had an evil eye. Every time you look at them, they're looking at you somewhere besides in your face. You've seen them kind of guys all over the place, haven't you? Every time you look at them, they're staring at you somewhere. And it's never in your eyes. they got an evil eye. Then blasphemy. Then pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile the man. How many of you people never had one of those thoughts? Anybody in here never had one of those thoughts? I don't think there's ever been a human being that's not had at least one of those thoughts. You know how hard it is to not have one of those kind of thoughts? I was talking with a lady the other night. She had married to a man 50 years ago. She said, I thought this man was the best man that had ever been. She said, I married him, and the night after we got married, I found out he was an alcoholic. Said he was a vodka drinker, and she said he drank, obviously, when I went with him, but I never did smell it, so I didn't know. But when I married him, she said, man, for the next five years, that guy come in drunk so many times. She said, after five years, I sat there one day, and I thought, Lord, 
said he come in, just passed out. She said, God, I ought to kill him. She's thinking about murder. Is that sin? Oh, yeah. But you know what she said? She said, Lord, he ain't worth me going to hell for. And you said, no murder has eternal life. So she said, Lord, I tell you what, since I'm thinking about killing him, but I know if I do kill him, then I'm going to go to hell and he ain't worth it. So she said, Lord, I'm just going to throw him away and I'm going to give him to you. If you can do anything with him, he's yours. But I'm through with this whole deal. She's married to him now. She ain't leaving. But she said, I can't change him. She said, in two weeks after I turned him over to God, he was totally off of alcohol, totally delivered. She said, the last 45 years, he'd been a great man of God. She said, if I'd have only known, I'd have turned him over to God day one. <laughs> but see, she didn't know. But now see, she still was living in this realm herself. She was defiling herself and her family with her thoughts. If anybody has evil thoughts which are adultery fornication, murder thefts, covetous wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness an evil eye blasphemy, pride, foolishness all these things come from within and they defile the man if that's the case then there's got to be something and somehow you and I can learn how to overcome this and conquer this is it possible? It's got to be, because if you don't, we're all defiled. And we can never be perfectly trained. You cannot walk in any one of these places and be a perfect, trained son of God. I want to be perfectly trained, don't you? I want to see God answer my prayer. When I walk up and lay hands on somebody and pray, I want to see tumors go away. I want to see garters fall off of people's neck. I want to see cancers fall out from under their body. I want to see people healed. When I, when I lay my hands on somebody in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to see the King show up. But if I'm living in any of these places, I've defiled myself, and out of my heart comes all these wicked things, and if I've got any of them things in my body, the King says, you're not perfectly trained, and I will not answer your prayer when you defile yourself from within. So then, what in the world do we do to overcome this? Let's go to this. We've got to go to this one last scripture. We can't quit right here today. We've got to hit, see how we can do this. This can only be done by 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. This is the way you do this. You have to master this section of the Word of God if you want to walk and get your prayers answered. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Most of us fight with knives, guns, bombs, brooms, fists. That's what we fight with, don't we? But that's not mine and your weapons, is it, Ernest? We don't ever raise a fist to hit another man. Never. If you do, you just sinned. You just struck a being that's created in the image of God. And God don't like it. Our weapons are not to be carnal weapons. Our weapons are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. We cast down imaginations. When that imagination comes to your mind, 
just like the story that I told yesterday at the healing school. A person told us this story. Said they had a dream. And there was a doctor sitting there and a man come in to the doctor. And the doctor, he was not feeling well. And he began to explain to the doctor all the different things that appeared to be going on in his body. And he said all of a sudden there was two demons appeared, one on each side of the doctor. One of them reached over into the doctor's ear and says, Tell him he has terminal cancer. Now then, that thought just came to his mind. Where did that thought come from? A devil, a demon. But the doctor has just said, when that thought came to his mind, he said, oh, I've been a doctor a long time, and probably from the symptoms you're describing to me, you probably have terminal cancer. And the man says, I have terminal cancer, and immediately his chest opened, and the two demons that were saying that entered him. When he confessed, I have terminal cancer. His tongue defiled him and brought terminal cancer into his body, which will now kill him. And he said, after that, every time he told somebody, I went to the doctor and he said, I have terminal cancer, said those demons will take another chunk out of his body. Defile your temple with your mouth. We don't believe we can do that. But we can. Your tongue is the most powerful thing in your body. The Word says it will defile your body or it will set your body free. You can control your body with your tongue. You really can. You know, I mean, literally you can do that. You know, I don't know how many people I know that they've been sitting there resting for four hours doing nothing. And I walk in and say, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm so tired. I worked hard all day. The next guy come in, he did the same thing. He sat down and rested ten minutes, and he's ten years older than the other guy. So how are you doing? He said, praise God, I had ten minutes to rest. I'm beautiful. I can do anything. You got something you want to do? Hmm. Them's my kind of guys. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Oh, but I'm so old. I've reached 50. I'm old. I heard a woman say that just the other night. I'm old. I'm 50. I thought, boy, I'm glad I'm young. I ain't but 67. Praise God. Woof! Glory! You know, I'm only about 40 years younger than she is. That's the way I feel. When I look at her, that's the way I feel. I feel young. Praise God, I feel young. You know, I can do all things. I have learned to capture thoughts. It says, casting down imaginations. So when the imagination comes to your mind, you can't yield to that beast. Unless it lines up with the Word. If a thought comes to your mind and says, Oh, Ernest, your wife is healed. You say, Praise God, I can agree with that one. I can agree with that one. But when that devil comes up and says, Oh, she has a tumor that's going to kill her. You don't, believe, don't agree with that. No more. You cast down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity. How many? Bringing into captivity every thought. Now, who in the world would dream that you've got to be that guarded with your mind? I mean, what if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden the thought comes to your mind? You're hungry. Just pull over there and have something to eat. Capture that thought and stop and think, when's the last time I ate? When all of a sudden you think, well, let's see, I just stopped two hours back down the road and had a sandwich, so I really shouldn't be hungry. If I eat two hours ago, now then capture that thought, because technically that thought shouldn't have come to your head. What might happen if you yield to that thought and you don't capture that thought? You say, that couldn't hurt anything. I'll just stop in there and get me an ice cream bar. I really ain't hungry, but I'll just stop in there and get me one anyway. You go in and get you an ice cream bar, and while you're inside, somebody breaks into your car. I mean, could it happen? The devil could be setting you up. Oh, he's... Now, this didn't happen. That, that, that car wasn't broke into. But now that he's laughing, I've got to tell you what he's laughing about, for those of you that don't know. We were up at school the other night. We went down and had something to eat, and we eat more than we needed. I mean, we were up to right here. And I was a little further than that. And he ate more than I did, so I know he was fuller than I was. <laughs> he worked harder, yeah. So we drive him down the road a little while, and this thought comes to his mind. And he said, hmm, wouldn't one of those beautiful chocolate nutty ice cream bars be wonderful right now? I said, I'm this full. I couldn't possibly have one. He said, I've got to have one. Okay, so we pulled into a place, and he goes in. They don't have no ice cream. So he comes back out, and he said, they don't have any. I said, the Lord's trying to tell us we don't need any ice cream. <laughs> he said, no, I've not accepted that. He goes back up the street to us, I'm another store. And he said, you want one? I said, no, I am full to here. I couldn't. I said, no, I don't want one. So he goes in, and he comes back out with two. He said, here's yours. I said, Ty, I told you I didn't know one. He said, I knew you were lying. If I just know one, I'd have to brush it. Don't give you half of mine. <laughs> See, he had, he had a justification for everything. So he didn't make you different. How many thoughts I captured? I still had to eat that ice cream bar. <laughs> oh, Lord. Did the Lord say, capture every thought? Yes, but we didn't do a very good job of it that night. Now, I know none of y'all have ever failed that like me and Ty did that night, because I guarantee that neither one of us need that ice cream bar. We do a lot of things we don't need, don't we, Ty? It's going to taste good, though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive us for sinning in our bodies, Lord. That night, but we did overeat. We overindulged, I will say. And then, of course, we really worked hard. We went from there right around to the motel room and crushed into the bed and really slept good all night long. We really worked it off, I'll have to say that. Wow. But the Lord says, casting down imaginations. And see, when he says capture every thought, we don't realize the significance 
of a perfectly trained student of what he means when he says capture every thought. You and I should start thinking about everything that comes to our mind. Did this really come from God? Is this really the Lord talking to me? Do I really need to do this? Or, I mean, you know, men and women. It makes no All those things we just talked about that defile you from within, those fit men and women. All men and women. I mean, you know, a woman that might never think about committing adultery on her husband, might never because she's so loved by her husband, he treats her like a lady, but she walks into a store and has got beautiful dresses everywhere. I mean, she's coveting them. She is lost in coveting. I've got to have this. But you don't need this. You have 1,400 dresses already. I know, but one more. Shoes stacked all over the walls everywhere. Couldn't wear them if she wore a different pair every day for the next six months. Couldn't wear them. But there's one more pair of shoes she just can't live without. I saw some of you real smile when I said that. Some of y'all must meet that criteria. Y'all see where I'm coming from? But it surely it wouldn't hurt for me to have one more pair of shoes. But now, then, where do you think that thought's coming from? Is that from God? Probably not. If you already got four dozen at home on the shelf and you're going to covet one more, the Lord probably said, No, you could take that money and I have someone down that has a need. You could give that $20 or $100 or whatever you're going to give for that pair of shoes. You could give them that. And, you, and that thought comes to your mind, too, and you say, now, that old guy standing down in the corner, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare want to give him the money for these shoes. If I'm not going to buy the shoes, then I'm just going to keep the money. Wow. See, we don't capture our thoughts very well. But that man or woman that's perfectly trained, he or she will capture those thoughts instead of coveting something or having that evil eye, you know, like the Lord tells us not to have, or... Those, all those other thoughts that we talked about a while ago, instead of going there, you'll think about loving and being kind and gentle to other people. You'll learn to capture every thought and make that thought obedient to the commands of Christ. Now then, if you're perfectly trained, you'll master that. Unfortunately, I haven't met that person yet. Have you met them? Nope. I've met a few people who's got clothes. But I haven't met that person that I think is perfectly trained. I'm working on it. I know some of you are working on it. But I want to get there. I know that when we get there, especially us as a team in this ministry, when we get there, when we pray for a little boy like that little cerebral palsy boy yesterday, we will see them get up and walk off. You know what kind of glory that would bring to God if we could get there? But you know what kind of glory it would bring to the young man that's been crippled for 17 years of his life and he never walked a step and he walked out of here going home? You know what his friends would have to say? Or you know what it would do to the environment around them when they see that little boy and say, what happened to you? He said, Jesus healed me. 
You know what kind of glory that brings to our king? And that's where I want to get. And I know many of you have that same desire. But to get there, we've got to master each one of these phases I'm talking about. You know how hard it is just to master, to capture every thought, to keep from being defiled with, from within? You know how difficult that is? Yes, you do, don't you? Because you're just like me. You ain't mastered it either. It's not easy, is it, Donna? But we're going to do it, aren't we, David? Yes, we are. Now then, I'm going to stop right there. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your words from your word. I thank you for these mighty things you're teaching us from your word, showing us what we can do to be just like you and do the same things you did. And Lord, we've seen you do some wonderful things, mighty things, but still we're not where we want to be. We want to be just like you, perfectly trained. Help us, Lord. Reveal to us. Send the Holy Spirit to help us that we can be perfectly trained. Lord, convict our hearts and our minds with your word today that we might take it to heart. We might struggle to be just like you in everything. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you and we thank you for the mighty works that you have done through this ministry, through the people that have worked with us and prayed with us. And all the people have been set free, saved, healed, and delivered. We are so grateful for the changing in their lives that you have done as we have worked for you and your ministry here on this earth. But Lord, increase our anointing. Increase our knowledge. Increase our wisdom. Increase our ability to comprehend these mighty truths and to walk in them. Lord, there's not a single person that's been to this ministry that got miraculously healed that is not grateful. And we're grateful. But we want to see all of them that come here get healed. All of them, Lord. All of them. Father, perfectly train us. As we go from here today, work on us and show us what you want in your word so we can truly be your perfectly trained disciples doing the greater works that you tell us we can do in John 14, 12. And we give you all the praise and the glory because you are the king of the universe and we love you. And Lord, we ask you to bring more people to this ministry to be perfectly trained by you so that greater things will happen. We know that nothing happens except we ask. So, Lord, we ask you to fill this place up. We ask you to increase the anointing here, increase the healings and the miracles so that people that are out there hurting and sick and afflicted will have a place to come to receive your grace and mercy, your healing and your deliverance. And we thank you for all of them that come that you will send. And we thank you, Lord, for saving them, healing them, and delivering them. Oh, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of this ministry. And we're grateful that you're our King and our Lord. And we thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Father.
In the name of Jesus, we worship you. Amen.